Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Is everybody looking forward to the release of what I think might be the, the movie event of the year, Final Score? That's a Queen one, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> that's not the Queen one. In Final Score, former WWE wrestler Dave Batista plays an ex-soldier called Michael Knox. He uses his military skills to take down terrorists who have hijacked a West Ham match against a team called Dynamo for some reason. <laughs> West Ham are in Europe. That's the most implausible thing about that, I think. Wow. <laughs> wow that's I had no idea. This is, this you didn't even... hear about this? No. Upton that's Park ambitious, literally gets you. blown up in it. Like it's, it's the final match at Upton Park. They literally blow the thing up. Tony Cotty gets shot. Wow. Was <laughs> you don't even know who Tony Cotty is, yeah. do you? <laughs> no, but... Uh, Sad no. for him now. <laughs> Getting shot and off. He's dead now, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Have you ever been worried about a football stadium being the victim of a terrorist attack? Well, there was this thing in France like in the, during the France Germany. Oh, thing, that's true. Not yeah, that long yeah. ago, you could hear the bombs on TV. That wasn't know. really the same thing, though, was it? I'm talking about like, actually in the stadium. Do you remember like, the, oh, oh, the, last season, yeah. the security guys oh, mistakenly yeah. left like a test device in the toilets? The fans have gone in before Bournemouth last season and thought, what is that? And the whole stadium got evacuated. I think yeah, the game yeah, got yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sniffer dogs, everything. Like stadium on lockdown, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's bad when the dogs step in. Yeah. Do you think Dave Batista will act as a d- deterrent to ISIS? Probably. Do you think they're going to watch this film and go, probably not worth bothering with these guys? Yeah, no, he's, uh, Apparently he's he knew, too tough. He knew nothing about West Ham before. Can't blame him, though. The film either. Sorry, I don't mean to be you know, bad or anything, but you know, Steve Batista, wrestler. I mean, what, what West Ham get a lot of flack on this podcast, actually. Mm. I hope we've got no West Ham fans listening. It's bad enough for them at Shout the moment as it is, isn't yeah. it? Anyway, welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm Dan Burke. I'm going to be your host for the next couple of months while Ian McCourt swans off on his holidays. Joining me today, a couple of old podcast hands in Daniel Cadena Jordan. Hello, hello. And Phil Costa. Hello. Let's give a nice warm welcome to podcast debutant Elliot Bretland. Hello. Cheers, thanks for the welcome. It's about time we had a scouser on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, about time. (laughs) Uh, If you'd like to get in touch with the show uh, with any questions, compliments or criticism, the email to do so is podcast at onefootball.com. We recently had someone ask uh, what the theme tune for the podcast is. We get asked that quite a lot. Um, And it's called We Can Go Everywhere by Local Suicide, I think. So, yeah. Close enough, I guess. Yeah, something like that, anyway. (laughs) Right, well, we're going to start today in the wonderful word of the Barclays Premier League... Uh, as it was formerly known. Uh, after giving them a thorough slating last week, we're going to chat back in with Manchester United. The reports last week that Jose Mourinho had to win against Burnley to save his job, and they won 2-0. So what did you make of that performance, Phil? Do you think uh, they're back on track now? Do you think Jose's got them playing the football that they should be playing? Uh, I wouldn't say they're back on track. Uh, I think Burnley were a shadow of who they were last season. I mean, they've already played nine games already, and it's only September, mm. so obviously the Europa League has has taken some some wind out of their sails, which is fine. Um, they're going to cope with that in their own way, but I think it was a nice fixture for United to have. And Mourinho sort of went with his old reliables with Fellaini, Matic. You know, he, he gave Pogba a bit of freedom. He, you know, he dropped Martial and Rashford, put Alexis back in. Lingard as well, who was actually pretty good. Um, so I think it was a nice time for them to play Burnley in, in what usually is quite a hard game. Uh, heading up to Turf Moor. Mm. I don't think he, he's in any real danger of getting sacked at the moment, but a win certainly didn't harm his cause. Yeah, he was all laughing and joking after the game, wasn't yeah. he? Talking about how he's, they couldn't afford to sack me anyway. Well, there's probably so. truth in that, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> yeah. 
Elliot, what did you make of the playing protest against uh, Ed Woodward? Um, do you think that's the right way for fans to behave, to voice their displeasure? I do, to be honest, yeah. in this instance, because I think that Mourinho, it, it's the go-to to criticise him, I think, whereas in the summer all along, he, you know, it was obvious where he needed to strengthen and the club didn't do that. And so if he hasn't got the players that he needs, mm. then how is he meant to get results? And, and I think I'm in the minority thinking <laughs> that. I think that a lot of people will say, well, Man United, massive club, look how much he's already spent. But it's clear that Chris Morland and Phil Jones aren't good enough to yeah. be to be going for the Premier League title. And so I think uh, Toby Alderweireld and Harry Maguire would have been amazing additions. And I think when you don't get them, and you know, if you're if you're the manager of Manchester United, you expect to get your deals done. So I think that that the media narrative almost has all been about Mourinho, and I think Ed Woodward has sort of got away with it the last two years. I think he's been pretty shambolic in the mm. transfer window. So. If the Man U fans want to make their feelings heard about where they think the true problem is within the football club, then I think they're well within their rights to to fly a plane over a stadium. And I do say that as an Evertonian. <laughs> and I've, basically, I changed Everton for Manchester United then, because <laughs> we've been in the same uh, situation. Yeah. But I understand what it's like when when there's a media narrative and you know that there's more to it than you do. You want to make your feelings heard. Mm. Apparently, Ed Woodward begged um, Burnley and the local police to stop the plane from being flown over, but they basically said, well, we can't enforce a, a no-fly zone. We don't have that authority. So he's obviously a bit worried about how his job is being perceived at the moment. But Danny, do you think that... Um, does it surprise you, the sort of widespread support that United fans seem to have for Mourinho? And should we praise United fans for, for getting behind the manager in, in tough times like this? Well, I, I guess it is remarkable that, you know, a fan base, such a commercialised fan base, let's put it that way, so mm. exposed to, you know, media and whatnot... Uh, of a fan base to support a guy like Mourinho, who you know is not necessarily the easiest person to get along with. Uh, I think it, it does have its merit. Uh, it's nice to see that the team is not going fully against the guy. <laughs> but uh, having said that, I do think they would have reasons if they had done otherwise. I mean, it, the team's not performing, and whatever Woodward is doing and whatnot, and whatever he's not doing, uh, the fact is that the team isn't performing, and uh, they have spent a lot of money. Uh, they could use a couple of players, as Ellie was saying, but definitely they do have a squad that it should be as competitive, at least, as Chelsea, Liverpool, and the likes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's interesting to see that that's their reaction, you know, backing a coach that has been so adamant about not having the squad, not having full support from directives, not having full support from even the same fans. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting turn to this uh, Mourinho plot that uh, seems to be building up up there north. Yeah. Last time United fans had a had a plane protest was when they wanted rid of uh, David Moyes. Um, so I think the banner that they went for in the end said something like wrong one, time to go. But they had like a few options on a fans forum that they could vote for and one of them was literally kill yourself Moyes. <laughs> so I think the uh, I think Ed Woodward got off lightly there really, didn't he? Yeah, you get the lighter end there. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on from United now and Arsenal won again, Phil. Two wins on the bounce. Um, well, Sort of made hard work of it down at Cardiff. Was it a, a decent performance overall, do you think? I mean, it, it was better than what we've seen in in the last few weeks. Mm. Um, Arsenal have well-known troubles on the road. so And even though it was Cardiff, who haven't scored a Premier League goal yet before they played Arsenal, mm. um, they were up for it. They were physical. You know, I think Neil Warnock was even pretty vocal before about getting into the Arsenal players, which is fine. It's what we're used to, really. Um but yeah, exhausting to watch from the, from the stands as a fan because, you know, we just make it so hard for ourselves every every mm. time. You know, there's no easy win for Arsenal, and but you know, three points is, is three points at the end of the day, and and it's you know, it was always going to take time under Emery. You know, it, 
coming in as a new manager is hard enough, but when someone's been there for 22 years beforehand, you know, you have to change everything. Mm. And he's only had eight weeks. So I'm being patient and hopefully the rest of the, the fans see that as well. Yeah. So. I mean, there's the very good going forward aren't they but defensively a bit shoddy is that a personnel issue or is there something else that you need yeah to do? it's always been a personnel issue we've, we've always been a top heavy side um, we've always been quite attacking quite open um, I don't think Emery's found the right balance yet he doesn't really know what his best midfield partnership is he doesn't really know what to do with Lacazette and Aubameyang whether to play one or the other or both so he's you know, he's figuring stuff out, which is normal. I think until Christmas, he won't really know his best, his best eleven. Mm. Um, looks a bit yeah. uncomfortable again, didn't he? <laughs> Do you think it's um, he should persist with this kind of playing out from the back thing with a goalkeeper who is, you know, mm. so un, it's so unnatural to him? I think he, yeah, I think if he if he feels that that's the right way to play, then he should then he should play that way. But I think you need to look at what's in the side who can do what and make a judgment. He's got two weeks now with the international break. Mm. He's seen what's happened with Czech. You know, he nearly scored an own goal against City. Mm. He was pressed heavily against Cardiff and nearly gifted them a goal in the first 10 minutes, two goals actually. So I think his reluctance to drop Czech is based on partnerships and with Socrates and Mustafi new, not really knowing what to do in midfield with Xhaka, Torreira, Genduzi, Ramsey, he needs some consistency in the side Czech has always been a decent keeper vocal you know he's a bit of a leader so I think that's why he's keeping him around but if he wants to play how he's playing I think he needs to give Leno a try after mm. after the international break for sure yeah and what about Lucas Torreira why has he not been starting I'm not sure I think um Jacka had a similar experience when he first joined Arsenal he was in and out of the side for about two and a half months I think with Torreira he he needs to acclimatise to the language, you know, the league. Um, you know, it's only been a few games still, so I'm reluctant to to make a huge deal of it. But he's he's improved us every time he's he's been on mm. the pitch, and I I think with Jacker not playing too well, Genduzi's still very young. I think the same with Leno. I think after the international break, he'll be a, a permanent fixture in the side because mm. um, he's he brings something that we've lacked in midfield: bit of bite, bit of mobility. And, you know, it's just great to see someone getting stuck in for a change. Yeah, so Yeah. It's on the early days still, of course, four games played. Are you satisfied that you think Arsenal have made the right appointment with Emery? I was on the Arteta train. Yeah. I was I was <laughs> there. Um, I was more than happy for him to come in because it was just exciting more than anything else. You know, he's done absolutely nothing in, in the game. He's had a year under Pep Guardiola. Mm. He used to play for Arsenal. He was, you know, club captain, a really good one at that as well kept us afloat him and Mertesacker for about four years um, so I was there ready to submerge myself in that but I think Emery's got a decent CV and in the short term our goal is to get back into the Champions League and he's won the Europa League three times in a row mm. um, so even if it's just a short term appointment get back to the Champions League and then go again it's fine I think he's he's growing on me yeah for sure yeah he's growing on me <laughs> That suit isn't growing on him, though. No, he's got no sauce for a 46-year-old. <laughs> There's, like, no swagger. But, you know, I'll let, I'll let it slide. When you've got an elite hairline like Arsene Wenger <laughs> at 67 years of age, you know, you're, you're you're up against it. Me and my girlfriend were watching the game the other day and I was saying, like, imagine touching his hair. Like, it's you'd so, have to wash it's your like hands after it. It's, it's just, like, so greasy. It's yeah, horrible. It's, it's, it's greasy, but, you know, he's learning English pretty quickly. Yeah, he's quite... All that, yeah. yeah, he's quite 
animated on the sidelines. So, you know, I think we we've taken him under our wing. Mm. Yeah. So it's um, it's going to be an interesting season for sure because no one really knows what the hell's going on. Yeah. Um, but we're looking forward to it. So, have Everton fans taken Marco Silva under the wing, Elliot? Are you are you enjoying Very him much so, so far? Purely because he isn't Sam Allardyce. <laughs> <laughs> um, but honestly, the, the start of the season, um, I've been buoyed just by forward passes. By like yeah. pass and move and the play, because last season Everton didn't have an idea that the team was just devoid of of anything. So Marco Silva's come in and obviously he's got an attacking brand of football. He's very, very positive with it. Um, he, obviously we've we've bought quite well as well. We've bought exciting players. Um, so so far we've dropped a few points. Um, I think Silva maybe needs to. Get the team and practice set pieces, defending set pieces, because five of six of the seven goals we've conceded have come from set pieces. So that's the only sort of you know the mark against them at the moment. Mm. But everything else is super positive. But you've also had some sort of interesting set piece routines that you seem to have been working on, haven't you? We have, yeah. yeah. The goal at home to Southampton was really well worked. Baines mm. and Walcott and Ireland, um, and it was just great to see that a manager has has actually thought about how we're going to play, thought about how to score a goal because I think the last few years at Everton, like I say, that the lack of any urgency, the lack of any know-how to, to win football matches just wasn't there. So it's good that we've got a sort of a tactician, a, a man who likes to play football in you know the right way. And, you know, that, that goal was clear to see that some, some thought has gone into it and the <laughs> players have been able to pull it off as well to score a goal. I've got a feeling we might look back at the signing of Lucas Digne as a really good signing. Have you been impressed with him so far? I really think he got at the weekend, did he? Was, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, set up Calvert-Lewin. He's, he's been really good. He came in against uh, Rotherham in the League Cup, which is a nice <laughs> a nice test for him. Uh, and then he's played against Huddersfield and he's he's like a steam train down yeah. that wing. He's he's sort of like another winger almost, which after having Leighton Baines, I mean, Baines obviously was always up there, wasn't he, in the, in the assist charts and the chance to create it, which was incredible for a left-back. And I think we found the ideal replacement, really. Very similar in how they mm. play. Both technically very good. And I think Digne will probably be our starting left-back now. With yeah. And, you know, what an option is for Baines to come on. Yeah. Lucas Dean's the new Dixie Dean. Is that what we're saying? Well, he's <laughs> got a few more goals. <laughs> What's happening with Yerry Mina? Has he played? No, he's Everton not played yet. No. He just likes to do Instagram. Oh, right. Play a post with Richarlison on the side of Goodison. <laughs> which, for now, I'm happy with. So, uh, no, I think he's he's got a slight injury problem right. um, there was a rumour that it was two months oh. and that hasn't been confirmed or mm. denied but he's just there uh, in the box watching Everton yeah. so at the moment he's not yeah it doesn't look like he's anywhere near uh, coming back obviously Jagielka was suspended Michael Keane who last year looked like he was scared to head a football <laughs> uh, he scored a header <laughs> against Bournemouth so that was another died. positive but then yeah nearly died <laughs> had to be stretched off uh, Holgate has come into the four he's done well um, so yeah we're, we're slowly getting there but it's, it's very similar season to Arsenal except we're above Arsenal on the table mm. um, <laughs> it's very it's very similar that it is just it's going to be a slow process of ironing out the, the you know the, the weaknesses which at the moment is our set pieces but on the whole yeah it's been a, a good start to the season although we've dropped points mm-hmm. Across Stanley Park, Liverpool won again. Um, the top of the Premier League heading into the international break. Um, Danny Allison made hard work of it. Did you see the the goal that he gave yeah, away the with the Cruyff turn that he tried? Yeah. Do you think that's something that you might have to sort of guard against in the Premier League? That he's perhaps um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's, not it's, used to strikers closing him down so quickly in Serie A. And it's yeah, it's, it's a totally different style of play, isn't it? From Italy, uh, I think it's part of the learning curve. He's gonna he's gonna do a couple more mistakes, I do think, uh, before he fully understands exactly what he is facing. Uh, uh, it's a tough league to break into the Premier League. I think I don't think that's a secret to anyone. Uh, and uh, when you come from a, such a defense-minded or such a tactically demanding league like the Serie A, uh, yeah, I mean, you do have to cope with a bit more of Russian play and a bit more of pressing up front, and uh, you don't necessarily see that in Italy. So yeah, I think he'll have a little while to go till he's like fully comfortable, um, well under the under the post of Liverpool. But uh, it's good to see that uh, in spite of everything, he's had a decent start to the season. Uh, Liverpool have started quite well actually as, as a full side, and uh, I think he'll be eventually one of the key pieces that will well prevent them or lead them actually to something well interesting down the line. I think mm. uh, it's it's a team that's really promising. The the whole uh, club project is pretty ambitious. They they have the the finances for it. So bringing a guy like him on board was definitely a step up to you know good old Loris who uh, <laughs> is now down in Turkey uh, doing what he does best. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Uh, a quick word on Watford and they've won four on the bounce now. It came from behind to beat Spurs on Sunday. Um, how about this for an omen? In 2014-15, Leicester finished 14th in the Premier League with 41 points and a record of 1-11, drawn 8, lost 19. Following year, they won the league. Last year, Watford finished 14th, you know where this is going, with 41 points and a record of 1-11, drawn 8, lost 19. Are Watford going to win the Premier League? Is that what we're saying? Just give them the trophy now. Yeah. Might as well. Yeah. Javi Gracia... Um, I think everyone in this room probably tipped him to be the first manager to go. I said it was Pochettino. I, I think said Alanis, Benitez. Did you? Yeah. Oh, well, did uh, you say Gracia? Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Thought someone did. Yeah, with everyone else. I think you two were the exception. <laughs> Who did you tip for the title? City. City. Yeah. You? In May, June time, I actually fancied United. Did you? And the Mourinho did Mourinho, and they put me right off, so I went with City. Who were you thinking? Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah. Has your gut instinct changed at all after the, the first? I mean, obviously yours must have. <laughs> Peter Schmeichel thinks United can still win the league. I'm not sure about that. Uh, it's just fantastic. I think, I think the true test for Liverpool is get to the next international break and see where they are. But mm. if they can go to Tottenham and win, yeah, that's something, isn't it? As a rival, I would be very scared. Yeah. <laughs> very, very scared. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, just a quick word on the um, the Champions League group stage draw, which was made last Friday. Um, United and Liverpool both got pretty hard groups, actually. United got Juventus, Valencia and Young Boys. It's old boys, the uh, old lady versus young boys in that group, which is quite interesting. <laughs> uh, Liverpool got PSG, Napoli and Red Star Belgrade. Do you think they'll both get out of those groups? Yeah. I, I think on paper, PSG and Napoli are, are a big threat, but under Ancelotti, they look really... All over the place, you know they they were quite lucky to beat Milan a few weeks back, three two, and and they got spanked the other day by Sampdoria. Um, shout out that goal by Qualiarella, by the way, oh, absolute belter. Yeah, um, but yeah, they just don't look anything near as cohesive as they did under under Sari, which is you know is normal. But mm. I think Liverpool are they know what they're doing under Klopp now. They've got some really good players. Their attacking line is is ridiculous. Um, so I think they'll they'll be too much for Napoli. So I think it will be PSG and, and Liverpool to mm -hmm. go through. What the order is, I don't know. But you know, this it's not exactly a bad matchup to watch, is it? No, so, no, should be um, Man United should be fine as well. I think Valencia, good side under Marcelino, but they've been defensively shaky, which is not what he's uh, known for. But I think they should scrape through. Just do you think the seeding system was fair? 
as it was this season. Napoli's uh, president. Yeah, he wasn't too happy, was like he? It, he? Um, to be fair, as a Man City fan, I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how Liverpool could be in pot three. I mean, I know they didn't finish that strongly in the league, but I mean, they they reached the final, so surely an exception must have been made along the line. Um, <laughs> but you know, they they would they will like it. I think they'll like. Liverpool like the challenge, especially Klopp, because yeah. he's all about that, isn't he? Like siege mentality. Let's get on, you know, against everyone. But it was a bit strange. But overall, I thought I thought they were pretty balanced. Mm. Red Star Belgrade's president has said that Jordan Shakiri will be under unbelievable psychological pressure after his uh, celebration against Serbia at the World Cup. So yeah. that's something to look forward to. Well, at least he can get into the country. Mkhitaryan's <laughs> going to have to wait back in oh, London yeah, to true, get into yeah. uh, Azerbaijan. So, yeah. you know. Oh, well. I wouldn't really want to go to Azerbaijan. I know. <laughs> the new La Liga season is well up and running now, and where else could we start but Barcelona's sensational 8-2 win over newly promoted Huesca on Sunday. Danny, was this Lionel Messi at his very best, would you say? It's one of his best versions, definitely. Uh, it's been surprising how motivated he is after he was named captain. I mean, uh, the first thing he said like publicly to the Barca fans during the first opening match was, uh, yeah, we're going for the title of the Champions League. We want to win this, period. Uh, he's really ambitious, and I think that was just his way and Barca's way of saying that they mean business this season, actually. Uh, they felt, they've fallen, what, three years in a row already in quarterfinals of the Champions League, so... It's winning another Liga would be nice, I guess, but uh, it's definitely not a top priority for them. So mm. I do think that Messi and company are really trying to show that uh, they have what it takes to become a contender again. Because with all Man City happening, Liverpool happening, even Bayern, I mean, like Europe has kind of changed a little bit for the Barca Madrid sort of dominance, especially after the Madrid uh, you know, changes in summer. Mm. So yeah, I think they do want to bring it back home, uh, the sixth trophy for them. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been pretty impressive actually to see how how focused he is, which, mm. you know, after the whole Argentina blunder was one of the things that people were wondering whether or not Messi would be, would be like, you know, psychologically into the next season or what was he actually aiming at after the, after what happened in, in Russia. Do you think he might be out to sort of prove a point after uh, being snubbed for the FIFA the best award? I think that, that's part of the equation, definitely. I think, uh, well, knowing how they pick the candidates for that uh, that kind of award, it's usually perform-based and Champions League is definitely heavily weighed. I mean, otherwise Salah wouldn't have made it, uh, I think. Um, but yeah, I think that is definitely part of why he is so motivated to do it, why he was so keen on becoming captain in Barcelona more than anything else. Um, and yeah, it's definitely going to be his year to like prove a point again that he is the player that everybody touts him to be. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting actually what's, what's happening with him. Do you think anyone else should have been considered for that award? Didier Deschamps complained that the, yeah. uh, the French World Cup winners... Yeah, I do agree with him, I have to say. I mean, uh, Griezmann or Mbappe had to be there, one of the, one of the one or both. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know which one would have been sort of like the better fit, I guess. Maybe Griezmann because Atletico also had a really mm. good season, uh, you know, winning the Europa League and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, I do think that winning the World Cup ought to have had you know, a bit more merit uh, than it did uh, for, for the final contenders. I mean, you, of the top you say three. that it's sort of uh, the Champions League performance was sort of unevenly weighted in favour of that but you think FIFA with it being the World Cup the FIFA yeah. World Cup that they would have given more. you'd have thought that a world champion you mm -hmm. know which is arguably a bigger title than Champions League winner uh, would have made it to the top three definitely but apparently this is also voting system by peers and mm -hmm. uh, uh, journalists and whatnot so yeah you know what can FIFA do if people choose other people players yeah. I mean it's it's they can only have so much influence thankfully <laughs> <laughs> a lot of bollocks these awards anyway <laughs> 
Uh, what have you made of uh, Julian uh, Lopetegui's start to life at Real Madrid? Uh, interesting. He's uh, definitely changed sort of like the mentality. Now it's not this uh, star-studded squad. I mean, it still is, but it's it's not sold as such. I mean, there's no Ronaldo now, so there's no you know it factor. There's no wow factor behind the team. It's a team that plays like a team, which is really odd for Real Madrid. Uh, Sedan depended heavily on you know figures and like key performances during matches. Ronaldo again is a key, a great example for that. Without that, Lopetegui is basically building a squad that can last a season without too much fatigue, without too much uh, demand on the pitch, uh, not demanding too much from one particular player, but evening out sort of like the responsibility among everybody. Uh, and you can tell that by the way they're playing. It's maybe not as sharp, maybe not as bright as it used to be under Sedan. But uh, you can definitely see that something's happening there. I mean, they're winning 4-1, 5-1, 3-1 here and there. I mean, mm. it's still good performances, solid performances, just not as, you know, glamorous as it would have been with, mm. with CR7. But uh, I think that it's it's a team that's gonna that's built and designed to win a league more than a cup. A uh, cup run would be welcome, but I think the priority right now is reclaiming the league for them. Uh, and, you know, the overall scheme of things, that shouldn't be a problem, I think. Mm. Uh, especially consider how well, bars are kind of like focused on what's happening in Europe more than they are and what's happening in Spain and what Atletico Madrid have to prove in all fronts. So, yeah, I think that the league is is a is, is sort of a safe bet for Lopetegui and, and September will be interesting. They face Atletico Madrid, they, f- they face Athletic Bilbao, they face uh, Villarreal, I think, and a couple of other, you know, decent squads. So, I think after the international break, we'll definitely see what, what his team is actually capable of mm. uh, starting Champions League as well against Roma, nonetheless. <laughs> so, That's it'll be a definitely yeah. interesting month for them. Granada Karim Benzema's got four goals already, I think, hasn't he? Or yeah. four in his last two, in fact. Yeah, he's had a, a quite yeah. a really good start to the season. You can definitely tell that the weight has been, maybe not the weight, but definitely has a lot more room in the, in the area than he used to have with Cristiano. He's a lot more uh, of the go-to guy now, and that was always sort of like his role. He's a striker in the end, isn't he? Uh, so having the ball has definitely helped him a lot to uh, well find those goals he wasn't able to score with Cristiano next to him, mm. who, who obviously was a bigger priority to Madrid scoring. Uh, arguably a better player too Ronaldo's understandably so but uh, yeah I mean he has now a bit more room more space physical space I mean to roam and uh, well collect a goal or two and he's been quite good at it actually yeah speaking of Ronaldo Phil yet to score for Juventus Mm -hmm. he's had more shots without scoring than any player in Europe's top 5 leagues Yeah, 10 more than the nearest challenger as well have you seen much of him in playing for Juve yet how's he been looking a couple of games I think he's been quite unlucky uh, on a few occasions but he started last season off like this as well. That's true. Um, yeah. And then he just exploded around Christmas time. So w- with someone of that quality, I'm always reluctant to make too many judgments. People forget that this is a new team for him, a new culture, a new language, new league. You know, this is a new style of play. So he's gone out of the Madrid comfort zone. And it, no matter how good you are, it's going to take you time to to get used to your new surroundings. So... I think it I think it will be more of a concern to him personally than it will than it will be to Allegri or the mm. or the Juve fans because everyone knows the quality he has it's just him being able to maintain those ridiculous standards that he set for the last 9 years. Um I don't think it will be long before before he starts scoring. Yeah. 
And going back to Madrid, Danny, Mariano Diaz was sort of ended up being the replacement for Ronaldo, if you like. Yeah. Wasn't quite the uh, the big name that perhaps people were expecting, but do you think he'll do okay? Uh, it's, it was really underwhelming, actually. Like, Mariano had been Real Madrid already, so it's not a new name, a new face or anything. Uh, and people weren't really pleased with either the first naming and now the second one. Like, he mm. was touted to be, to be like this huge striker, Benzema-esque sort of like player. Uh, never really performed under Lyon, apparently he's doing a lot better. Did a lot better, uh, but now, yeah, uh, I don't think he's gonna be pivotal, pivotal for the team, especially if Benzema is performing. I think uh, they just bought depth more than anything else. Uh, man-to-man replacement with Ronaldo? No way. Uh, I don't think so. But yeah, he was sort of so like, okay, so he's the the new attacking guy for uh, for Real Madrid. Having mm. said that, I say uh, he's gonna be more of a bench warmer than he'll be a starter, definitely. Mm. Number seven, the new number seven. <laughs> he was the new number seven, yeah. Uh, we had the Seville Classico at the weekend. We did, did yeah. We not? Um, Real Betis won one 0 thanks to a goal from Joaquin. So yeah. he can die happy now. He's thirty-seven years old. He said that this Is he was. That old? He's that old. Wow. Man. And he said this was the game he had been waiting for his entire career yeah. to win uh, a classico against a Seville Classico against Sevilla. Uh, they hadn't won it at home against Sevilla in twelve years, so it was a really special occasion oh, for wow. for Betis. So it was really nice and really interesting to see how. The fans were really like warm because also this season we had mentioned a couple times before is a really uh, interesting one for them. Uh, they finally have a decent squad with Mark Bartra. They have one well, Joaquin who kind of came like with his revival tour, if you want. Mm. Uh, so yeah, they're really keen on having a really good year. This was a huge sign for them, uh, winning a, a game they hadn't won over a decade. You know, it's, it's never an easy thing, is it? Uh, and uh, overall, the game on Sevilla side, however, has been more like mirrored by referee decisions more than anything else it was a red card that uh both the coach and the sporting director were complaining about heavily after the game the whole bar system uh the coach went as far as saying they should call it just bar with a you know with a you know b instead of a v because you know it, it just seems that way like they're just drinking in there and he's uh, <laughs> really you know adamant about how bad it's going <laughs> that's uh, good yeah it's not bad at all but uh so yeah it's sort of like the vibe you get from sevilla right now uh they had a really good start to the season with andre silva scoring a hat trick in his first game but since then the team kind of like started going to cruise control like automatic pilot and you notice that uh the team they could have done a bit more having said that it's still mighty warm down there in sevilla so you could understand that you know that was a factor in it in spite of the fact that it was played at night but yeah it was a it was an interesting game uh and yeah i think betis were were well-deserved winner and one that you're going to make the most out of that of those three points definitely mm. just a quick word on atletico you mentioned they have a, a bit to prove this season they lost 2-0 away at celta yeah weekend. was that a big shock really or was uh it? well i mean in the great grand scheme of things definitely celta shouldn't be punching above their weight against a team like atletico so well drilled so you know renowned under cholo simeon and all that but you know it's it's the international break coming up uh as i said the weather in spain hasn't been that favorable uh for anybody of both north or south uh, so I do think that the players are just cruising by to, you know, just go through the motions. The French internationals, at least Lamar and Griezmann, have a big task with the Nations League against Germany. We, you know, admittedly not the strongest side mm-hmm. nowadays, but uh, it's still, you know, Germany. It's still a big rival. It's still a proof. Uh, uh, it's the first game after they became world champions. So definitely that was on their mind. Diego Costa, uh, well, he, he was dropped from the Spain squad due to injuries. So I'm pretty sure that was on his mind as well. Uh, and Simeone, all in all together, has, I think, only 18 players available right now. So he can barely come up with a necessary amount of players to build a squad, like a full squad for a game. So I think that when you consider those things, it w- maybe not expected, but definitely not far-fetched to think Celta could take uh, three points out mm-hmm. of Atletico. But yeah, it definitely was a like, 2-0 win against Atletico is always big news, I guess. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. You mentioned the uh, UEFA Nations League there. We've, uh, of course, got a wonderful uh, international break to look forward to now. <laughs> lovely one. It's just what the football calendar needed, wasn't it? Um, yeah, something not that complicated. Question is, can anyone explain how the Nations League works? Uh, long story short, there's divisions and there's seedings as well. So it's kind of like the Champions League draw on steroids and not the good kind, the one you get banned for. It's uh, <laughs> basically like you have four divisions of the countries. Like they were ranked according to the FIFA ranking, I think, or some sort of UEFA ranking they have as well. Yeah. Uh, they were split then into pots and then you had groups out of that. So for those keeping track, that's sort of like three filters you have to apply and you end up with these groups that are either really impressive because you have the French and the Germans and I think it's uh, the world champion that's with them in the, in, in the same group as mm. they are. And then you have groups that, you know, are Lithuania, San Marino and, you know, us, th us four kicking a ball around, basically. So it's basically sort of like a promotion relegation system. And the whole idea behind it is sort of like to make friendlies mean something. But now they're talking about a third national team tournament or something that would be the consequence out of this whole uh, Nations League. So you can definitely just realize how much they're imp improvising over at UEFA uh, and just making us all baffled at how... <laughs> weird it's become to watch a football game and keep track of what's actually going on and what's in play so i don't know i think it's just uh odd <laughs> yeah it's just odd well speaking of odd, denmark are in a bit of an odd situation at the moment aren't they um yeah, for those who haven't been following the basically i think there's a dispute between the players and the the danish fa about image rights or something like that mm -hmm. if, if i'm Their not mistaken and um, they basically sent a, a ragtag team of futsal players and Danish <laughs> amateurs to go and play against Wales in the Nations League. So that's definitely the game to watch this weekend, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Elliot, do you think this Nations League thing is a step in the right direction for international football or has it just kind of muddied the waters over complicated things? I think, yeah, it needs the competitive edge, I think. The, the qualifiers as well, there's such a difference in the teams. That yeah. A lot of England games, my experience is England internationals and England will play, you know, a lesser nation at Wembley get a one or two nil win the game would be great no one really wants to be there whereas if England are playing teams that are of a similar level and there's a relegation at, at, you know at play I think it does get you a bit more interested it it, it sort of I think it'll also you know the teams will the, the, the ranking will be fairer I think if you lose the two teams mm. that you're meant to be on a par with and you get relegated then I think that's better than yeah. just a, a random ranking from playing all different teams, if that yeah. makes sense. So I, do, I think it was much needed because the friendly, the internationals, the Premier League is so big right now for us as as English football fans that the international break just got in the way. Yeah. Whereas if there is like a, a, a top side that we're going to be playing and there's something at stake, it's much better than what went before. Mm. No more 12-0 defeats for San Marino, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guys. <laughs> Well, I'm afraid that's about all we've got time for today. Uh, thank you to Danny, Phil, Elliot, our producer, Damo, and of course to you, the listeners, for listening at home or wherever you are. Uh, we'll be back same time next week. Reptiles out. <laughs> <laughs>